Hello, Rue. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm tired, although actually less tired than I think I was last week. Good. Well, I'm still here, so we're on schedule for episode five. <laughs> is that a little bit disappointing? Uh, it is and it isn't. Um, it's certainly been nice to have for a baby to have arrived by now, but equally, as I suspect we're nearing going and being induced by appointment, then the novelty of it happening at some random hour of the day and having to drop everything and deal with it. Yeah, I'm I'm quite looking forward to not dealing with that. I'm disappointed for you that you're that you're still at home waiting, but um yeah, it's good. It means we get it to does. do this. And do you do you have an appointment now for an yes. induction? Yes. So Monday morning 8am. Oh, exciting. Uh, which is nice because I mean the other problem has been at work I'd wrapped up everything the day before due date, delegated meetings, I had closed off work, you know, all that sort of stuff. But then I went back in on the Wednesday and the Thursday. And, you know, so I've done <laughs> eight days of work more than I thought I would. Becoming increasingly a spare part. Anyway, it's, it's nice now. I know I am off on paternity leave for the next two weeks. I'm hoping it will go smoothly. I mean, 8am on Monday. Oh, that's a nice early start. Early start, so we're not going to be up through the night. Whether we can sleep Sunday night's a different matter. Well, you're listening to Beardy Dads. Uh, I'm Rue Reynolds, and what you can hear in the background is baby Oliver, who's now five weeks old, I think. And I'm Nick O'Leary, and as you've heard, any day now will be the father of a second, with my three-year-old upstairs asleep in bed. So we've, we did have a comment in the week um, from Dad Hacks, at Dad Hacks on Twitter, who struggled to tell the difference between us or you know tune his ear into our different voices and he likened it to the ant and deck problem so <laughs> I, I just wanted to reassure all our listeners just like ant or deck you can always tell who's who because i will always stand on the right hand side that's good and in fact um in the mix you are slightly on the right and i'm slightly on the left so you can well, you, you can use that trick um if it's if the audio separation is sufficiently clear um, or I suppose you might you might have a tiny bit more West Country, and I, I'd say your voice is a little bit deeper than mine, Nick. Yes, it's probably a bit more um, bassy, but bassy, oh, you Nick. can do a bit Coronesh if you want me to do a bit <laughs> Coronesh. Um, yes, so I guess this is the fifth episode of Beardy Dads. It's uh, a sort of reverse advice podcast where we admit to everyone what we don't know, and we try and get help and contribution from other listeners, other dads, or, or anyone who might have advice for dads. Absolutely, because you know, we're, we're going to run out of anecdotes at some point, and <laughs> yeah, we, we don't, we're not professing to know exactly what we're doing, but it's all about just sharing experiences. And it's been a good week for questions. We've had quite an inbox full, so perhaps we'll get through some of that later in this episode. A contribution this week sent in from David Monroe, um, who has been the father of twins. An international contribution has it's come all the way from Australia. Which you'll tell by his accent. Um, and I, I think that's now our second dad of twins, which I think I mentioned before. I, I'd been, in theory, excited about having twins um, before we knew that we were, we were having a boy. And I, I wasn't disappointed when we didn't, but there's a big part of me now that is uh, a very long way away from disappointed <laughs> that we didn't have twins. Yeah. One baby is a lot of baby. Absolutely. So, here's Dave. Hi, I'm David Munro. I'd point out that I've never, in fact, had a beard. I'm a little further on than Rue and Nick in parenting terms. My children are 10, 7 and 7. May you become the mother of twins is apparently a traditional curse in some parts of Africa. So what advice can I give you if you've just discovered you're having twins? Firstly, don't panic. It isn't going to be easy, but you will survive and some of it will actually be fun. Secondly, find and join your local multiple births association. 
Apart from anything else, quite a few of the baby shops give discounts to members of such groups, and you are probably about to spend quite a bit on baby stuff. If you've just had the shock of your first scan showing up twins, you may be wondering, are they going to be identical? The short answer is, you can't actually tell unless you can see from the ultrasound that one is definitely a boy and the other is definitely a girl. Other than that, you can't tell unless you have them genetically tested, which does cost money. However, you can potentially save on the cost of having them tested by signing them up for a scientific study with a twin registry. Often the study will at least subsidise the test since they do need to know for their data to be useful. For example, ours are signed up with a study on tooth emergence, which means that we note the dates when teeth fall out on little charts and collect the teeth in little bottles, and we get packages of toothpaste and brushes from the tooth fairy, who's apparently called Michelle. Just to confuse things further, it is actually technically possible to have half-identical twins, although this is very unusual. For all the details, see the Wikipedia page on twins. Once you've got over the initial shock, the knock-on effects are you realising that you'll need another cot, that the pram you already have from the first child is now useless, you'll need more clothes, your car is going to be too small, and so on and so on, so your wallet gets a bit of a shock as well. In terms of the pregnancy experience, one thing we noticed was that the morning sickness was much, much worse. Also, the middle trimester of pregnancy is supposed to be the happy one where the morning sickness is finished, but you aren't suffering from the side effects of carrying around a large bump yet. But with twins, the bump was much larger much earlier, and we more or less skipped that phase. Medically, you're subject to a lot more monitoring, many more ultrasounds, and if you have monochorionic twins, they'll be looking at the blood flow on the ultrasounds to check for twin-to-twin transfusion. I think near the end, we were having ultrasounds every fortnight. You also have to come to terms with the fact that your twins will probably be born rather early. The average twin pregnancy only lasts 37 weeks rather than 40. Birth weights will probably also be lower than average. Generally, twin pregnancies aren't considered low risk, which may have implications for your birth plan. Quite often you'll be asked if the twins are natural, which sounds like a strange question, but this is because twins are a common side effect of IVF. Once they are actually born, it gets worse. My memories of the first couple of months are very vague, presumably due to the sleep deprivation, but here are a few things I do remember. Breastfeeding was difficult. If you tried to feed them one at a time, the unfed one would just scream. Feeding both simultaneously mostly worked, but wasn't easy, and then eventually they started fighting with each other while feeding. Sleeping. At the very beginning, we just had them in baskets in the lounge room, and whoever was on duty would nap on the sofa. I have memories of trying to rock both baskets at the same time with my feet and trying not to fall off the sofa in the process. Then we put them with their heads at opposite ends of a single cot, and that seemed to work reasonably well. They started sleeping through the night at about eight weeks, I think. Later, they each had their own cot on opposite sides of the room. We ended up keeping them in the same room until they were about seven. After that, they would talk too much and not fall asleep. Baby dance! And we'll hear more from Dave later in this episode. Uh, in the meantime, Nick, we've had we've had some emails, haven't we? We've had some good emails. Uh, we've got some great listeners. Uh, Andy Felton has pointed us at bestbabymonitorapp.com. Uh, the links will be in the show notes. Uh, so this is the idea where it's an app you can put on your phone that you then leave that phone with your child uh, when they're sleeping and you can set it with the phone number of another phone. And when it hears the... Uh, noise level go above a certain level it will phone the other phone 
so you can listen in. So it, it reaches a threshold of volume at which point it thinks you need to hear what's going on. Yeah. And then you, you literally get a phone call? Yeah, it phones over the phone and I think it might give you the live feed of the audio. So if you're in your hotel or somewhere where you don't have a Wi-Fi network, you don't trust 3G, it just works over the phone network. So, yeah, clever idea. That's nice. Although one thing that I... I still haven't used a baby monitor yet, but one thing that I think I'm going to be looking forward to is having that sort of reassuring hiss in the background where you know that it's working and you know that it's pretty quiet up there. Um, The idea of sort of waiting for a phone call rather than being able to know for sure that it's all working does does, leaves me slightly on edge, maybe. Sure. No, I, I can appreciate that but i think as a an emergency solution if you find yourself short one worth looking at it does sound pretty neat so what was that called that's bestbabymonitorapp.com and in last week's episode uh, rob's recommendation for an ios app was called baby monitor 3g um which was more of a ongoing connection but um looked pretty neat doesn't didn't seem that expensive i think it was you know a, a quid or two like most things are on the uh, on the store yeah so there we go we've had an email from mike perry hello mike mike says what was it like for you guys how did you find out and how did you react? For me, this is a lot closer than it is for you. This was yeah. only, a, only a few months ago that I found out. But I remember being on the station in Waterloo and Rachel right. phoned me up to say that she'd uh, done a test and that she was pregnant. I think for me, it was exactly halfway between massive excitement and just draw-dropping shock, really. Because even though we were trying, was yeah. sort of expecting this one day, but I now have to deal with it right now. And um, of course, I didn't have to deal with it right then. I had several months still before we, uh, before yep. we got anywhere close to having a baby. But yeah, no, I, I will confess to being quite scared right from the beginning. Um, and it, it probably took a good few days of, um, you know, talking about it a lot and, and thinking about the future. And, and uh, it wasn't for quite a long time that I'd really taken it in properly. I definitely went through a shock phase. Was that yeah. the same for you or were you, were you much more of a grown up about it? <laughs> Well, uh, well, likewise, I mean, we were trying for Toby and it was that excitement. But mixed with that realisation you know, over the next couple of days of what that really meant and, you know, everything was getting quite real at that point. Mm. He also asks about commuting. He says, I think one of you commutes to London each day. That's me. Hello, I'm Rue. Uh, how do you find that, being a dad? Do you ever see them before they're asleep? Yeah, it's hard, actually. Um, I do commute from Southampton to London each day, which takes quite a long time. And as a result, what I've been doing at the moment is taking at least one day off a week. Not working at home, just taking a day off, which is obviously eating through my holiday. A couple of weeks' paternity just wasn't enough, really. I needed a a bit more time at home, and I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. And in the first few weeks, I was taking two days off a week, uh, and I'm now sort of gently easing myself into working, (laughs) working more like a full week. Um, but yeah, I, w- I think at the moment I would struggle actually. I would struggle not to be home more than just the weekends. And then in the evenings, I, I think what's working quite well is uh, generally what what happens when I get home is that we have dinner together with Oliver sitting on the floor in his little little chair, having a look around, and then we feed him and ideally put him to bed for a little little nap. And Rachel will, will go and get some sleep, and then I'll look after him for a bit and and give him. Uh, bottle feed and then let her sleep for a bit longer so sort of becomes my my turn to be on duty uh, and and my job to sort of let her have a bit of a bit of a snooze and that's even easier when it's not a work day the next day because that way if I need to I can be up a lot during the night 
so yeah, we've we sort of found some patterns and some routines, and they I would say they probably change every every few days. It's not like we're settled into a definite rhythm yet. But yeah, for me, a lot of the a lot of the the job is giving Rachel a bit of rest, uh, and that's hard if I'm if I'm having to get up at six in the morning and, and go off to work. Did you um, with Toby your first time round, Nick? Did you have two weeks paternity and then straight back into it? Or did you find yourself doing what, what I'm enjoying doing at the moment and sort of take, taking a few extra days? And I was, well, I was quite fortunate that because we were in, in hospital for a week after he was born with some jaundice, um, at the end of my, uh, you know, the normal two weeks of paternity, I had a chat with my manager at work, just updated her what, what happened, and she said, well, if you're in hospital for a week, you've not really had two weeks paternity, have you? So clear your inbox and then we'll see you next week. Oh, that's good. So she actually gave me an extra week, which was so good. I mean, good boss, good boss, you know, absolutely no obligation for her to do that. And uh, so that was really good. Mm. This time round, I've obviously taken the two weeks off. I've got two weeks of holiday to use up by the end of March. And I've told my manager, I don't know how I'm going to use that yet. It could be do as you've done and do you know, a, f- a few three-day weeks, or it might be take a week here, a week there. It's one of those wait and see, and yeah, just being in a job where I do have some degree of flexibility. Mm. You know, I don't have to book my time off months in advance. I'm you know very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, keen to hear if if other if this um, is ringing bells for other people, um, and on the on the commute thing as well. If other people have found ways of staying in touch, you know, during during quite a long day. Um, mm. What I hear on the train is quite a few dads phoning up their kids when they're on their way home. Obviously, the kids are right. getting ready for bed and being sent upstairs, and you know they maybe get like a good night phone call from dad. Yeah, it just feels a tiny bit heartbreaking. Um, yeah, well, good friends of ours. The dad works is a welder who will go spend six weeks in Norway or um, you know on North Sea oil rig type jobs. So he'll be away weeks at a time. Mm. But that, yeah, that's his job. That's what he does. He doesn't really have the choice to commute locally or sure. things like that. So I know they use Skype from very early on and would have daily chats with the baby over Skype. Um, and that you know continues now with their boy who's, what, must be four, just turned four now. So uh, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to be able to spend the time we do. It's one of the things you just can't take for granted, really. Yeah, and things change so quickly and they grow up. Oh, it's such a such a cliche. They grow up so fast. But I'm finding oh, it already. Just in the first month, he's changed so quickly. Baby dads. So we've had another email from listener Derek Murphy. Hi, Derek. And he was wondering about names. How did you go about coming up with names for your child? So did we pick names early on? Was it a last-minute thing? How did we do it? For me, this was really easy, although we did have a nice technique which which other people might enjoy. What we did was we got a jam jar, and then, I don't know who came up with this, we might have come up with it together, but Rachel and I both, in the evenings, would write any name that came to mind during the day, we'd write it down and pop it in the jam jar. And then every few days, certainly every weekend, but but more frequently as well, we were both allowed to go through the jam jar and take out and destroy any names <laughs> that we didn't like the look of. So we both had veto. Yep. Um, and the I think the only name that we both put in was Oliver. Right. I think that's true. There was there were maybe a couple of others, and they were probably also the ones that were the, the front runners. Yeah. Yeah. We we quite quickly and quite naturally settled on a name that we both really liked. Mm. What about you? What was your uh, What was your experience with names? Was it Was it as easy? Well, for us, because we didn't know the sex, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl with Toby. 
we had to come up with twice the names. And I really like the sound of your jam jar idea because I kind of wish we'd done something like that because we would, throughout it, just randomly say names at each other <laughs> to see how they fit. Right. Um, so one of the problems is Joe has worked in childcare for years. So she has experience of lots of different children. Oh, yes. And so she has a lot of both positive and negative associations with certain names. Yeah, probably fun. And a lot of children as well. Yeah. You know, that's going to be a lot of names that are now allocated to other people's kids in her mind. That's it. And um, so there were some names that she would just say, no. Yeah. <laughs> there was a horrible one of those in my class once. Um, so we got to Toby because um, we, I mean, we tried lots of different boys' names and there happened to be a boy in um, Joe's class that year that was called Toby and he was just a really nice boy. Um, which is probably lucky because we decided we liked the name Toby and um, you know, here was a Toby who was a nice Toby so it didn't have any bad connotations from that side and then for a middle name uh, we we didn't go down the family you know picking a name from the family route and uh, we just sort of then started working out what pairs of names sound good together because hmm. we always like to feel well it's when you're telling them off you want to use their full name so what sounds good <laughs> it needs to roll off the tongue a bit yeah. doesn't it yeah and somehow just Toby Edward O'Leary just just worked this go round it's almost been harder this time you know, we've got to find something that works well with Toby you know, you, oh that's true yeah when when it's two kids you need to, you need them to sort of work as a pair as well yeah. don't you so we've got some tips in Excellent. We ask for them. We've received them. Andrew Fitzpatrick has been in touch uh, via the email. And he said... Uh, he's got a few tips, actually. Um, have you got it in front of you as well? We could yep. we could alternate and go through them. Yep. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell everyone his first tip, which is that if a baby won't settle in their cot, then building a horseshoe shape out of a rolled-up towel around the head end of the mattress uh, and then put the sheet over that and then the baby inside this sort of little nest that you've made... Um, which apparently they picked up from, from a nurse uh, and a few of his friends have tried it and found that the baby settled down really well. I've heard of this as well, although when it's been explained to me, it's been the other way around and it's been a horseshoe around the legs, like um, uh, around the, the bottom of the bed so that the, the right. child's arms and legs sort of feel a little bit protected. And I guess it just helps create a tiny bit more of a womb-like environment in those first few days. Yeah, and that he goes on to talk about swaddling and that that's kind of the same idea. You just sort of wrap them up a bit tightly in a blanket around the legs it, it gives them that enclosed feeling they haven't got the freedom to wave their arms and legs around but that can be quite calming and settling for them yeah and again is is what they're used to um i think after a certain age and again this is not a medical advice podcast but um i've, I've certainly had midwives suggest to um, us in the past that a bit of freedom of movement in the arms is very useful for babies and mm. they like being able to regulate their temperature by moving things away from their chest if they if they need to. So at the moment when we're swaddling Oliver, we're swaddling his legs but leaving his arms free so that right. he, can, he can move blankets away and that sort of thing if he needs to. Yeah. Might be an issue, might not. Feels safe. Feels like a nice thing to do. Uh, what's next on his list? He says, um, in the early weeks, babies sleep really well in noisy places 
so going out um, and having meals out and things like that isn't really a problem, which is true. I, I um, actually think that Oliver would have slept literally anywhere in his first few weeks. He would also have, have woken up every two or three hours and wanted feeding, but you know, if you go to places where that's okay, then, yeah. you know. Yeah, and absolutely, as, as, as the father of a three-and-a-half-year-old, I can't stress enough how much you should cherish those opportunities to go out even if you haven't got a babysitter, you know, take your baby out and just enjoy that time with your partner because when they get to the age where they don't sleep in a car seat, then say goodbye to having nice romantic meals out with just the two of you. We had a really good trip last weekend. We went out to a pub in Southampton, which you might know actually, the White Star Tavern. Have you been there? Not been it. I've, I've, I've oh, seen really you recommend good. it a few times. Yes, I will keep recommending it because it's the best pub and it's our favourite pub in the world at the moment. We, yeah, we hadn't been out for a while. We figured uh, he would sleep through anything, so we shoved him in the pram, took him out, had a, had a meal, sat him in the corner quietly, he slept, had a little feed halfway through. It was brilliant. It was a really lovely day out. And there was live music, there was good food. It was nice just to sort of hang out together and feel a bit normal. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely trying to make the most of these sort of early few weeks while he's little and we can just, you know, mm. put him quietly in the corner, which I'm sure won't always be the case. So the next tip Andrew mentions is about... Uh, a thing called purple crying. So I have never heard of purple crying. Have you, have you come across this? I've perhaps heard of it in, in the general idea, but not quite dressed up as this. So we'll link to the details in the show notes. Purple stands for peak of crying, uh, unexpected, resists soothing, pain-like face, long-lasting and evening, as being a way of remembering the the features of this period of crying, which lasts for, what, a few weeks months the, the, uh, yeah up to, up to about six months i think it talks about so it does look a lot like the thing i think we had read up on which is called controlled crying which is where you leave your baby to cry for a few minutes then you go to soothe them then you leave them for, if they carry on crying you leave them a bit longer before you go in and you slowly build up the time you leave them to cry and you know it can be quite stressful um because you know no one likes just to leave their baby crying um but it can it just helps them feel reassured that you are there but that they sort of self-soothe themselves and um helps break that cycle of crying just to get your attention yeah that makes sense although i think with very very young children uh and and maybe i just haven't reached the stage with oliver yet where he's um close to being manipulative in that way but um yeah with very young children i think if if something's wrong or if you know if he's uncomfortable or whatever um or even if he's just confused because life is going to be quite confusing for him when he's very small then um a bit of reassurance straight away it's only really now he's, he's sort of getting close to six weeks now it's only really now where in order for um in order to let him learn how to fall asleep by himself we're beginning to, um, yeah, not leave him um, crying for ages, but just, you know, if he's making making a sound, if he's burbling and gurgling away, it doesn't necessarily mean that he instantly needs picking up and, and cuddling, which I think for the first couple of weeks we, we definitely would have been doing. But probably worth anyone interested in reading that, follow the links in the show notes, and I think you'll find far more useful information than, than we've been able to convey here. Or that I have absorbed yet, but I'm going to be reading up on mm. this. Um, so purplecrying.info, interesting uh, 
interesting yeah. site. And talking of websites, he also links to a story that was on the BBC News site, and it is a piece of 30 tips for first-time parents. Um, there's you know, lots of really good stuff, all from contributors to the BBC site. I'm sure we'll be reading it for tips for future shows. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'll be ripping this off mercilessly. The one in particular Andrew points to is the the fact is you should ignore anyone who is giving you advice who's had their baby more than two years ago because they just don't remember it clearly. <laughs> so I don't know why we have you on this programme, Nick. Yeah, I, I should probably just hang up now. But it's, it's a valid point. I think in our conversations I've freely admitted there are plenty of things I've blanked out and I don't remember. Yeah, you um, don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it. But It's going to be a massive culture. The next few weeks for you are going to be a massive shock. It's going to be awful, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but in some ways, I like to think that's reassuring to parents going into it for the first time that for for all the hard work you're doing in those first early weeks, it is only for a short time because they mm. grow so fast and they move on so quickly. You'll soon forget what you're dealing with right now because... You've got some other crazy stuff to deal with down the line. <laughs> he exclaimed the other day. Rachel came into the room and he went, <laughs> which was just brilliant. Like the, the beginnings of yeah, making his feelings felt already, you know, just beginning to show the signs of a smile, which is, which is great fun. Yeah. And I suppose there's a while where they can hear and understand, but not yet talk. Did you try um, baby sign language? We did. We did do baby signing. Recommended to us by friends who had done it and had had been able to communicate with their child from a very, very small age. Mm. You know, the, the child could say they were hungry or needed changing, mm. wanted milk, could actually communicate that long before they could speak. The theory being that their vocal ability develops slower than their ability to, to move their hands. Yeah, the sort of the, the cognitive side. So, yes, we we did baby signing. And again, in my dim recollection of what we did with Toby I'm, I'm not sure we did that as comprehensively as we could have done but suddenly simple things like please thank you milk that worked it worked with him so I'm sure something we'll be looking to do with number two fun yeah I'm looking forward to that as well so those were Andrew's tips thanks very much for that Rue have you got any tips for us this week well as you know I'm going through it all now for the first time um, and something that I've just been trying this week is you know the um, the nappy bin, uh, the sausage-making nappy bin, where you, you put them in and twist the yeah. thing around and it makes the sausages? The one that we've got is predictably a Tommy Tippy device. Uh, I think it's called the Sangenic. I think uh, pretty much everyone has the same one. They they're only cost about a tenner. And then the replaceable cartridges cost you a fortune. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's uh, really good, though. It works, works really nicely. What I'm trying this week is rather than just having the sausage go directly into the the white plastic bin, pre-filling the bin with a bin liner first for convenience. I didn't do the first couple of times around, but as they get a bit stinkier and as they'll need emptying more regularly and more frequently, I'm figuring if I put a bin liner on the inside of the the plastic bin, then all I have to do when the uh, when the thing's full is, is pop the lid off and then it's already nicely inside a black sack. I don't have to do this disgusting thing of pouring it out into a bin liner or into the wheelie bin or anything. Everyone tells me that these nappy bin things become a bit rank over time so I'm hoping that this will slow down that process as well. Uh, Milton becomes your friend for <laughs> sterilising and just you know, dealing with some of that odour but I think we suddenly found because we had probably exactly the same one when you start realising just how much you're spending on the cartridges for it you do end up doubling, tripling up nappies before you 
twist because you know each time oh, really? each time you close it off you know do you yeah you know, you're, each time you give it that little twist yeah that little twist you're using up a bit more of the cartridge so yeah. if it's just a wet one that's not going to spell too much so you don't need to seal that one in but perhaps i'm being a bit overly frugal there but yeah those cartridges do rack up they do cost a lot more than the bin don't they i suppose that's uh it, it would go along with the whole if it's yellow let it mellow if it's brown twist it round that's uh you know a little very good. little mnemonic for us then there's the whole experience of going out shopping with tiny twins in the pram and if you think people coo over babies you should see what they do with identical twins one thing that stands out from that time is that if you met other people with older twins they'd usually tell you something along the lines of it gets better which says something about how stressful it is i think then there were the reactions from people who hadn't had twins the worst one was i always wanted twins i thought it would be fun or i thought it'd be easier to get it all done at once when you are suffering through the early months, your first reaction will be to want to kill them, or at least fix them with some sort of death stare and tell them exactly why it isn't fun or easy. Take a deep breath and say something polite. The next one, which always had me biting my tongue and trying not to make sarcastic remarks, was, are they twins? I mean, especially at the tiny baby stage, what on earth else would they be? Once they get older, it does generally get a bit easier, much as it does with singletons, and there is the bonus of watching them develop their own independent personalities in parallel. Of course, there's also the advantage that they always have a built-in playmate of exactly their age to play with. However, this has its downsides as well, because, just like a party, anything that seems like a good idea to one will probably seem like a good idea to the other, so things tend to escalate pretty rapidly. There's the awkward stage when they can run around but don't have any sense of danger about, say, roads, and then you'll be just about guaranteed that if you are trying to manage both of them with a single adult, they'll take off in opposite directions as fast as they can, which of course is highly stressful. When they get to the childcare age, if you have identicals, you should probably just resign yourself to the fact that the carers will never quite know which one is which. We sometimes used to send them in jumpers or t-shirts with their names custom printed on them to help out. But the photos in the What I Did This Month books they periodically sent home usually contained an approximately equal mix of pictures of both of them. I also discovered that the other children mostly couldn't distinguish them either, which was brought home rather sharply when I took just one of them into childcare one day and all the children said, Hello Ben and Alex. As a result of this experience, once they reached school age, we made it very clear to the school we wanted them in separate classes. We're also lucky that the school uniform allows either green or red shirts, so we've always dressed Alex in green and Ben in red. In case you were worried about it, parents of identical twins generally have no problems distinguishing between them. The brain is extremely good at finding small differences between faces when it needs to. However, what distinguishes them changes over time, and your brain doesn't seem to retain that information when it isn't being used. This means if you go back and look at an older photograph of your twins, you may no longer be able to tell which one is which. Fortunately for us, ours have mirror image dimples when they smile, so as long as at least one of them is smiling in the photo, we can tell which one it is. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the automatic face identification built into iPhoto is completely and utterly useless when faced with identical twins. Well, if you are fortunate enough to be expecting twins, I hope I haven't scared you witless, and in the words that Ella's other parents said to me, it does get better. Dads. So, Nick, last last week I asked the question, at what age or, or what signs should I be looking for when deciding no longer to watch sweary or age-inappropriate films in the same room as, as my son? He's becoming a bit more conscious of the world around him. I think I'm, I'm definitely moving into the period where it would feel a bit weird to watch a horror film in the same room as him, um, only because he's, he's looking around him a lot more now and his, his eyes are yeah. a lot more 
alert and active, and I assume that he's going to start listening to things quite carefully <laughs> soon as well. I have another question this week yeah. in my naive state, which is we've seen, you know, in various checkups and hospital visits and seeing other babies of about the same age, we've seen some babies already who are who are sucking on dummies, oh, and right. um, we haven't been haven't been tempted to do that yet. Mm. Uh, and to be honest, he's he's not a massive screamer, and he's he's pretty easily settled and if he's not sleeping he's feeding and although tonight you've heard him a lot in the background he's, he's generally quite quite settled down but i've i've heard all sorts of things about dummies i've heard that it's a really bad idea to start i've heard that it helps them sleep more easily i've heard that it even reduces cot death so first of all i'd love to know from you nick whether you ever used a dummy with toby and and second of all i guess i'd like to throw it open and see what other people have to have to say to me because at the moment i genuinely don't know even what i think about this subject well we were fairly adamant we weren't going to use dummies, and we and we didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, not even having one in the house, so you're never tempted to try it you know, right. when you're at your wit's end. Because if you don't start, then you know, there's no problem with weaning them off it and all that sort of thing. I mean, it's it's when you see kids sort of Toby's age using dummies, and they'll take the dummy out of their mouth, mouth to ask their mum a question. Why are you still <laughs> using a dummy? And <laughs> I... Yeah, it's very easy to sit here and be judgmental on that, but and I'm sure dummies serve a purpose and help the children sort of settle and that sort of thing. But and maybe especially while going to sleep. That's the the thing I've heard a couple of times is that um, a dummy, you know, if you only give it maybe as part of the going to sleep yeah. routine. Yeah, yeah. I guess if if um, you're quite, quite limited soon. in in how you use it and careful in how you use it, um, I don't know. I I I think we're firmly in the anti-dummy camp here um, but obviously they work well for other people so yeah I'd be really interested to, to hear some other points of view on that. I'd appreciate that I think it would be a good um, a good thing to hear more about in case there are people who feel equally strongly that you know it was the best thing ever or, or that it got them out of a sticky situation or whatever um, I definitely would be nervous about the sort of baby crack uh, nature of, of dummies and the idea that you know once once you started it might be very very hard to go back but yeah uh, we, we do have one because one of our bottles came came with one. Right, Tommy Tippy. Would you Would you believe? <laughs> we should ask them for sponsorship. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah. we probably threw ours out quite quickly. That came with our top, Tommy Tippy. Really, I think you were so. that that adamant. Just get rid of it. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Well, there we go. But as I say, if anyone's got anything to say on that subject, you can reach us at podcast at beardydads.co.uk. And we are at beardydads on Twitter. We have, in the last five weeks, gained 100 followers, so you could be our 101st. And you'll find us on iTunes, where I believe, I, I should check really, but I believe that we, we have yet to have our second review. But when it happens, we'll be reading it out on the show. If you haven't got any advice for us, you could leave us a review and still get on the air. Yep, you get your name mentioned. And Nick, it's very likely that we won't be recording this time next week, isn't it? I don't know. I think babies are arriving on Monday, pretty much, certainly. So I think by next Friday, we ought to be able to fit in a late-night recording schedule. You think you'll be you'll be in the mood? Yeah, I think we've scheduled it perfectly to... We're not going to miss a week. Good. Well, that's good. Speaking of iTunes, I've just checked. Uh, we, we don't have any more reviews. We do have some, some ratings. We've had three five-star ratings. At least one of those was me. One three-star rating, which is that you know neutral. Yeah. Why bother reading, leaving a review if it's exactly in the middle? Yeah. Uh, and one one-star. Oh dear. Uh, review. So I think that means somebody didn't like it very much. But you know you can't please everyone. You can't. And uh, 
you know, if you've if you've listened to this and hated every minute of it, probably not for you. There's mm. lots of other stuff out there on the internet. But equally, get in touch. If you're a dad and you think we're a one-star podcast, let us know, because <laughs> we're here for your benefit as much as our own. So, If you're not a dad and you think it's a one-star podcast, I probably don't want to know. True. If you're apathetic about it, that's fine. <laughs> Just don't... <laughs> Don't bother with the three-star review. Don't tell your friends you didn't like it. Yeah. But yeah, no, do, do get in touch and give us your tips. Uh, give us your um, thoughts. We've talked about quite a lot of um, other people's ideas and questions and, and things today, and, and maybe it's sparked something in, in you. Let us know in an email, or if you want to, record yourself talking to us for a couple of minutes, and we'll put it on the show. You've been listening to Beardy Dads. I'm Rue Reynolds. I'm Nick O'Leary. And we'll be here probably next week. Until then, Rue. Bye. Bye, Nick. Bye.